Winning makes believers of us all, a wise man once said, and that wise man was Paul Brown. And the Bengals are 7-4 and four after a throttle of the Pittsburgh Steelers on their home turf. The Bengals are right in the thick of things as a wild card team and on the heels of the Baltimore Ravens who lead the AFC North. Things are going pretty well for the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm Anthony Cazenza. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, part of the Cincy Jungle Podcast Network. And I am joined by what should be, who should be a jubilant John Sheeran. Uh, how you doing, bud? Yeah, you know, things are going really well, almost too well. And I'm like, <laughs> some the other shoe's going to drop here. I just don't know how it's going to drop. And then Brian Kelly leaves for LSU, and Luke uh... Fickle's like one of the odds favorites to, to replace him. Like Brian Kelly's like one of the worst things to ever happen to UC football <laughs> because of how he left UC right before the Sugar Bowl and, and the the smashing that Florida bestowed upon them with Kerry Combs as the interim coach. And then that led to just irrelevance with Butch Jones and Tommy Tuberville. And then he, of course, he stole Marcus Freeman, the defense coordinator, who should be the replacement for Kelly. And I hope that's what happens. And apparently there's a report that says that a lot of players want Freeman to get off track here. Really hope Fickle stays. Really hope that this this high continues to ride here. Selfishly, I wanted Fickle to be in the mix for that USC job. The USC Trojans pulled off a little bit of a a magic (laughs) trick there, getting Lincoln Riley to come over and coach their football team. And man, that was kind of a surprise and a pleasant one for Trojan fans. But this isn't a Bearcats podcast. As much as I know, there's a lot of strong ties there. This is not a Trojans podcast. This is a Bengals podcast, and we have a lot to get to. We're going to break down the big win, the 41-10 win by the Cincinnati Bengals over the Pittsburgh Steelers. We're going to give you a couple of stats of the week, and, of course, we're going to look ahead to the big showdown with the don't call them San Diego Chargers, the Los Angeles Chargers coming to town this week as two of the best young quarterbacks in the league face off in this one. If you're new to this show, You can get this program on the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all that, all those platforms were there. Right below John's little window there, there is a an icon for those checking out the video portion of our show. You can click on that to subscribe, click the bell to be notified to go live. Uh, to, to get notified when we go live rather and when new content is available. So uh, please do that. Leave us a review if you can. And hopefully if you subscribe to this channel or you subscribe to the various YouTube channels of the podcasters on the Cincy Jungle channel, you maybe are just finishing up with the live show of Ace and Zim who were interviewing Gary Owen, the famous comedian, the Cincinnati Cincinnati-based, Cincinnati hometown guy, Gary Gary Owen. So hopefully you enjoyed that and are coming over to our show and checking us out. Appreciate all of the support. Uh, let's just start with a little bit of gloating, I guess, and a little bit of basking in, in this win, John. Favorite moment or moments in this game for you as the Bengals just absolutely take it to the Steelers at home. There's a scene in Miracle where um, the United States is playing the Soviet Union, and I think they lose like 10-1 or something like that. They lose something crazy before the actual semifinals, and there's like a montage of Kurt Russell, who is Herb Brooks in the movie, and like there's the 
in the background it's like noise of like you know oh the soviet union score again oh the soviet union scores again and just like his like face like getting longer and longer as he's like dreading what's happening i i was i felt like i was on the opposite end of that where like they kept just pouring it on the steelers the the hopeless lifeless once dominant steelers and it was just just dominant play after dom- it was it was so easy honestly and there's so many moments that that fit into that you, i mean you can start with just the eli apple interception the second one in like four weeks where it should have been the pick six and then it wasn't and mm-hmm. like man this team is just never going to get a defensive touchdown right two quarters later they do with the former Steeler and mike hilton i think that's probably my favorite honestly just combined with trey hendrickson's pressure the speed to power bull rush got into ben's face made him throw off of his back foot mike hilton knows that playbook even though it's a new offense coordinator but knows Ben's tendencies knows their route concepts, times it perfectly, steps in front. First uh, defensive touchdown for the team since I think Jeff Hobson looked this up. Sean Williams back in the Ooh. 2018 season finale. Ooh. So not not in the Zach Taylor era. Has Against the Steelers happened. too, I think. Right? Yes, exactly. Was, yeah. Marvin Lewis's yeah. last game in Pittsburgh. So that's probably my favorite, honestly, just from a, a viewer standpoint. But, you know, the T Higgins touchdown, that was a pretty thing to see against mm-hmm. the same cornerback that Jamar Chase beat deep back in week three. There's a lot. And, you know, there's a lot of great moments that happened after like the third quarter started when the win probability was already at 100 percent of that game. It, it was it was just a lot. And I, I think that the plays that happened in the first half that really started the snowball effect, I think that's those are the ones that stand out the most. Hard to disagree with you. And Andrew Bam Greer, I pinned it earlier on the Fate Live Facebook chat, says hit Hilton pick six. He agreed with you. I am going to be in agreement with another Facebook listener, Paris Blair. Joe Mixon running down the sideline on his 32-yard gain with Burrow right behind him. It's a great picture. And now, there are a lot of reasons why I like this one the most. And I put a post up on Cincy Jungle talking about effort. And it's this this play just exuded a lot of effort and a lot of effort from their star players and a lot of effort from their team leaders and a lot of effort in guys that really weren't involved in the play, at least a couple of them. You know, Paris here mentions Joe Burrow running down the sideline. He didn't block anybody, but he was kind of there, at least giving the impression that he was maybe going to stick his head in there and, and take somebody out if needed. I doubt that that actually would have happened, but still at least gave the impression that that was going to happen. And then, of course, you had Jamar Chase, and this this was probably the most impressive thing about it was Jamar Chase going downfield, running downfield, a guy who only had three passing targets on the day, wasn't targeted deep, wasn't, you know, the, the, the game plan was a lot of Joe Mixon in this game. He could have mentally checked out, and here it is late in the game. Bengals have a big lead, and what do you know? Mixon makes something happen, bounces it back outside after after starting off going to the left, bounces it back outside up the right sideline, and there's Chase giving a block to spring extra yardage on Minka Fitzpatrick for Joe Mixon. And to me, it's not just effort; it's just it shows a level of camaraderie. And you know what I said in this article was for two years we you know we heard. Zach Taylor talked about the culture and the locker room and the guys they're bringing in and the team captains and all this sort of thing. And for, for, you know, the better part of two years, it kind of rang hollow because six wins and a tie, right? It just kind of was like, okay. Yeah. I mean, tell me more about it. Right. But here you're kind of starting to see those things in action on plays like this. Maybe I'm over-exaggerating that, that notion, but 
I just felt like a play like that really showed me something, really showed me something about the character of this football team, the effort level that they are putting out there. And, uh, you know, it may have been a little bit extra extra because of it being against the Steelers and really wanted to take it to them. But I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm just being a little too romantic with this thing, but that was a play that really impressed me. No, I think that fits with who Jamar Chase is. Like, they have no beef with the Detroit Lions, and that didn't stop Jamar Chase from <laughs> yeah. showing up on the highlight reel as a blocker. Um, that's kind of who Joe Burrow is, too. He's not going to sit out plays if he, if there's something for him to do, um, whether it be try to tackle someone on one of his interceptions or try to block someone in case Joe Mixon cuts back. I think that fits in. But on that same line, uh, Shane, McLe- Shane McLeod, I think I'm saying that name right, um, yeah, brings up a good point here. On the Eli Apple interception, I didn't notice this until I was watching film of it uh, today or yesterday. Trey Hendrickson, he provided pressure on the play that forced Ben Roethlisberger to step up, and then he made that throw, that terrible throw to Eli Apple. And then immediately he sprints downfield, and number 67 for the Steelers, I don't know his name, I think he's the left guard. Hendrickson identifies him and then blocks him like Michael Orr in the blind side where he, like in high school, when he, like, basically carries him for 40 yards that was Hendrickson basically for the last 20 yards of that play and then he pancaked him at like the five yard line and then he helped Mm -hmm. him up afterwards (laughs) when when he was on the ground um but Hendrickson in general I think this is another play and I know that this play didn't really matter that much in the game it was the middle of third quarter but it was the strip sack on Ben he did his usual thing where he Full emphasis pump fake. I don't know how he does that without tearing his arm out of his socket, but then <laughs> he gets strip sack from behind. Sam Hubbard recovers it. And it was that play in the middle of that game when they were up like by 30. It made me realize like this guy's the most expensive free agent in team history. Free agency has existed for 20 something, 28 years. It took him this long to do something like this, to bring in a player like this, to have an impact in this game against this team. And now the entire paradigm has shifted in this mm-hmm. series, in this rivalry, in this renewed. And I don't think it's it, it's not a total crazy coincidence that this is now happening after two years of increased involvement and in spending in free agency. But how much earlier could we have seen something like this had they had just been interested in free agents like Trey Hendrickson of that caliber of that price tag? How much earlier could things have evened out the, the playing field leveled out had they just shifted their philosophy towards this now completely balanced roster of young studs on their rookie deals and core pieces from other franchises who are in the prime of their careers playing on extended second contracts. Like this is not just a, a dominant team that's built balanced throughout the roster. It's a team that can sustain success because a lot of these guys are under contract for years to come. And it's not like, you know, they have a it's they, they don't just have a great quarterback now, but they have pieces like Trey Henderson combined with the pieces that they've home that they've that they've developed after they've drafted. And it's a great combination of talent from all sorts of places. And it's led to a roster that can just dismantle the Steelers like this, even though the Steelers aren't as good as they have been in years past. You are preaching to the choir. The free agency guy is right over here. You are preaching to the choir, John Sheeran, because for years I was like, you got to get involved in outside free agency. You got to sign impactful outside free agents and the Bengals unfortunately kind of acted like someone coming out of a bad relationship that in which they got burned because for years they and I'm seeing some of the the folks in our live chats including locked on Bengals star Jake Liskow joining us in the live YouTube chat good to see him what up Jake uh 
they there are a number i mean you could you could go antoine odom you could go ben utek you could go antonio bryant you could go lavernius coles you get the point is is i i understand a little bit why the Bengals were hesitant to go back in and do the draft and develop thing and and retain your own stars etc cetera, etc cetera. i understand that that should be a big part of your plan but you cannot forego signing impactful outside free agents and to your point Trey Hendrickson is is reason number one why and unfortunately I think that their lack of aggressiveness in outside free agency at least with the top tier guys has disallowed them to get over the hump even when they had stacked rosters under Marvin Lewis so you know it's the, the fact that they finally decided to get back out there so to speak if you want to keep using relationship cliches they got back out there over the past couple of years and did things differently. It didn't quite pay off last year. And it almost, you almost worried that it was going to go back to, you know, they spent all this money on Trey Wayne's and DJ reader. They got hurt last year and you go, Oh God, are they going to crawl back in their shell again? Um, and they didn't this year. They didn't. I mean, they lost out on Carl Lawson and that whole situation, how that played out. You bring in Trey Hendrickson and, and here you go. But um, it's been a big, to your point, it's been a big reason why this team has been successful and and some of the other free agents that have been impactful guys are on one-year type of prove-it deals bj hill larry ogunjobi etc <laughs> and it's funny because you can ask mike brown even now and he won't <laughs> say very nice things about free agency i actually like, yes. learned how like free agency even began it was from like a court decision and it was like in 1992 or 1993 and the lawyer that represented the nfl believed that the evolution of free agency in like 1993 would lead to the destruction of the nfl oops yeah. like so I, f- I feel like i feel like owners back then who are still owners now they still feel the same because it's just a power thing and like that's just what free agency is it was shifting power towards the players in that sense and that's probably the biggest piece of evidence i can give as to why mike brown is not as involved in this team as he used to be and wouldn't you know they're seven and four and they have one of their best rosters in years I, I don't know if you remember this interview, John, with Jim Quinn. I do, uh, yeah. Remember that? Yeah, this yeah. was early in your in your OBI tenure here. Jim Quinn was uh, involved in getting free agency going in the NFL, and he had he he and Mike Brown had battles about free agency. And by the way, the book is "Don't Be Afraid to Win." This was a long time ago. Go check that book out. I think it's on Amazon and all kinds of other retailers. Uh, cool book, a lot of cool stories. Just especially if you're a history nut, an NFL history nut, but go back and check out that that interview is a while ago but uh, a fun one so yeah uh, you know I mean we're going on a little different tangent not talking so much specifically about the Steelers game here but that's okay because I, I do think the free agency thing uh, is is a pertinent conversation and obviously is impactful in terms of what we saw Mike Hilton free agent making a big play honestly one of the biggest plays of the game right um, you talked about Eli Apple, another free agent guy. We talked about the interior defensive lineman, so on and so forth. So uh, the, the, that's kind of been the big the big impact uh, that we've seen from from the Bengals and especially in this game. Now, I, I, I want to ask you about this. Um, and this was kind of a thing that I just a notion I came up with with another post of mine that, came, that went up on Cincy Jungle late today. It seems to me that the Bengals have done something that we never really saw too much under Marvin Lewis, and that is flexibility 
as as in terms of scheme, in terms of game plan, in terms of how they want to operate on a game to game basis. What I mean by that is going into the bye, they had two straight losses, wherein one of them they got their teeth kicked in by the Browns at home. And the other was just an inexplicable loss to the Jets in New York, a tough road stretch, a lot of excuses embedded there. What it seemed, what it seems to me is they went into the bye and they really digested what these teams did to them in those two losses, how they decided to sell out on guarding chase, all kinds of different things. Right. And now they took that to heart and now they came out and they've on offense, they've got a different approach. They're doing some things uh, on defense, getting after the quarterback, creating more turnovers on defense far. I mean, on a per game average, far more, uh, far more turnovers than before the buy. They just kind of seem to tweak their approach, tweak. They go, okay, well, this is what's been happening these last two games. We haven't been successful. This is what we're going to alter during the bye week and reinstall going forward. I don't know. I don't know how much stock we can put in that because we're not inside those walls, but it just seems like a different approach, a different mindset and taking to heart what happened in those two losses and altering things going forward. And we can go back to the first two weeks when this offense and this, the team in general was just trying to find themselves and the defense was playing really well there, but the offense was still trying to lean on the run game and it just wasn't working very well which is why they had to force some things in the passing game which led to the bears debacle and stuff like that so that from week three on i think joe burrow is like pff's highest graded quarterback but it's not just him just being superman every single week and carrying the team because in reality like coaches and just football guys in general they preach run the ball establish the run you know build your offense around the run let the run set up the pass and it's all fine and dandy in theory if it doesn't work there have been instances where if you try to force it too much, your offense becomes just ineffective in the last two weeks, specifically in the last six quarters, the run game has basically carried this Bengals offense. Not saying that Joe Burrow's done nothing, but you're right. Like they identified what they wanted to do going forward against a Raiders team that can rush the passer Steelers team with TJ Watt and Alex, Alex Highsmith that can usually rush the passer. They came out with a game plan in each of those games. They started with the run. And then they in the Steelers game, like they stuck with it. That offensive line was just a cohesive, mobile, great wall that just generated movement, play after play against a, a Steelers defensive line that was fully healthy. And it's usually is pretty good against the run. When it works like that, th- th- there's no reason to just come off of it. There's no reason to uh, adapt or put put it on your quarterback's shoulders again if it just works like that. So it, it's just the example of if you have that dominant run game that's great. And that's what they have right now with this new configuration and offensive line. And just the defense kind of coming together too, kind of taking those losses to the jets and the Browns and heart. It was primarily because of a lot of defensive you know, problems in terms of just not, not creating turnovers, but just being shredded by Mike white, being shredded by Baker Mayfield, who can't figure out a thing against any other defense in the NFL. <laughs> they kind of took it personally a little bit. So now you have a, a team who has multiple identities almost, but, they can choose to be a dominant defensive team. They can choose to be a dominant run team when it suits them. And I guess you can make the case that it's important to have that at this time of year and at this point of the season. And you're right. Like they, they can do multiple things like Jamar chase, not really a huge factor in this game. The Steelers made sure to put Mika Fitzpatrick on top of him. Go to T Higgins when you, when you need to pass the ball, 
go to Joe Mixon for 30 times if he can average six yards a carry. They can do multiple things. There's just not one thing that they have to rely on, which unfortunately seemed to be the case against the Jets and the Browns before they kind of realized, okay, what are our strengths and what can we do against these teams? And they're kind of figuring it out. Here are a couple of little tidbits of stats and information, some of which I think a lot of people have heard at this point. Now the Bengals have won three straight against the Steelers the first time in 31 years since that has happened. Zach Taylor has three wins against the Steelers in three years. By comparison, Marvin Lewis had eight wins in 16 years, and that includes three extra playoff games in which he was not successful. So he had three extra tries, so to speak, against Pittsburgh and did not uh, and did not, um, you know, uh, Lewis just was not as successful. So here we are. Zach is averaging one win a year now against the Steelers and Marvin Lewis averaged half that in his tenure with the Cincinnati Bengals. So you kind of put things in some perspective here. Uh, things are moving in the right direction and things are not moving in the right direction in terms of where the Steelers are headed. Uh, and, and it looks like they, they've got some tough decisions to make here. Uh, it looks like you got a response here, John, to, to what I'm saying there. Well, I, because we had some people say like, what, why does this free agency discussion matter at all? I, and I think, I thought of this against in this game in that moment because fans care so much about beating the Steelers. It's equivalent to Michigan caring about beating Ohio State because in the last 20 years, that hasn't happened that much. Like so much of Bengals fans happiness comes from beating the Steelers. And with that being said, I think a lot of who the Bengals are and like what they're doing to improve the team like that progress is validated or it's deemed irrelevant based off of what they do against the Steelers. So the fact that this team that's fully healthy has pieces that were brought in in ways that they haven't done before. I think it validates that. And it's worth discussing because sure. yeah. like, like this game matters a lot, like for, for not just the fan base, but for the organization too. And if they're seeing that it works and there's a path here that's sustainable, then I think that's worth discussing. For sure. 100%. And look, I mean, like like we mentioned, a, a lot of the free agency additions recently of the last couple of off seasons came up big in this game specifically. So, I mean, that that's kind of why it is a relevant discussion. And, uh, you know, now Joe Burrow kind of squashed the notion in his post-game presser talking about how, yeah, it's great. We beat the, we swept the Steelers. Wonderful. We're going to move on. We've got bigger things to do. And that I think also is where the Bengals fans need to start hopefully adopting the same mindset because now this isn't the Bengals Super Bowl. It would seem, I mean, a little premature talking about three straight games here, but I mean, at least it seems as if the scales of power are balancing out here and it looks like the Steelers may be headed, like I said, for some tough decisions, quarterback, etc. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school 
that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. We're going to, this was where I was going next. It's going to segue nicely uh, out of this and maybe into our, our stat of the week thing. We have instituted super chats uh, in the in the YouTube channel, so take advantage there. We've got Mr. Whisper asking John, uh, how much has the addition of Adenogy at the right side helped this offensive line? What is he doing that others were not? You wrote a great weekly lineman post on Cincy Jungle on Adenogy last week. You decided to focus on the defense this week. Uh, I, I kind of been thinking about some things specifically also in terms of Hakeem, Hakeem Adenogy, but uh, Mr. Whisper wants to know what the the genius of OBI has to say on Hakeem Adenogy at right guard. He fits so well with what they're doing. I think his, his, one of his biggest strengths coming out of college was that he was a good athlete. Um, mm-hmm. He was about the same size as Jonah Williams, so some similar shortcomings kind of came with that too. Jonah's things where like you know he wasn't that long and didn't have a lot of strength to his game and then Jonah Williams has gotten better because he's added strength to his game I think the same has gone has been with Adenogy which is surprising because he spent most of this year injured and now that he's completely healthy and come back it looks like there's more pop to his game and you combine that with the athleticism that you need to kind of execute some of these zone concepts it athleticism and Offensive lineman in zone schemes is so important and it cannot be discounted. That's why Trent Williams has a 99.9 PFF grade on zone blocking this year because he's <laughs> yeah. 320 pounds and he runs a 4740. Like, you cannot discount yeah. athleticism. And, and Adenogy is a top tier athlete for a right guard. And I think that has helped him kind of mesh with the movement skills required to f- fulfill some of these concepts. And it's also just, I think, good coaching too. I think Frank Pollock has done great a great job with him this is like his sixth offensive line coach in six years or something crazy like that he's definitely the best offensive line coach that he's had so i think he's getting his hands in the right place i think he's getting the timing in the right place and he's just meshing well in between two veterans and trey hopkins and riley reef who have experience in this scheme so it's just like it's just another cog in the machine in a machine that's completely well oiled and working at the highest maximum efficiency right now and you're just seeing the results like that that line against the steelers it rarely broke. It was just, it, it was moving like this, like, like it was just unbreaking, just going with the flow and consistently generating movement. And identity was part of that. It's, it's not like he's playing fantastic, but he's not showing out in bad ways, which is more than you could say about Jackson Carmen and, and, you know, Michael Jordan earlier and even Xavier Suofilo. So I had, uh, I, I had a little bit of a thought on this as well. I, I've been doing a lot of thinking this week, John, this, this game has just spun my <laughs> wheels here. Uh, And this is kind of sort of a blend of what we're talking about to close up the Steelers talk and uh, move into the stat of the week here. I was thinking about, you know, it just seems we're not complaining necessarily as much about Trey Hopkins as we were earlier in the season. There were some pretty deplorable, at least by PFF score standards, pretty deplorable outputs by Trey Hopkins. And we, we don't great guy was is and was a team leader had an unfortunate injury to end last year. And obviously we've taken that into account. We know that that there's still, you know, some issues going on there. It's evident by the fact that they're giving him essentially a rest day every week at practice. Um, So 
I mean, there's a lot to kind of digest with this whole thing. And, and we understand that. But one of the things I started to wonder was, you know, I, I wonder if Adenogy, not just him playing maybe at a little bit higher level than a Jackson Carmen and others that they've used there. I wonder if it's having a positive effect on Trey Hopkins, wherein he can focus a bit more on his own responsibilities instead of maybe trying to mask a little bit of some of the deficiencies of one of the players next to him. Uh, and, and thanks to uh, you helping me out with some of my homework. Here is uh, here's something here on Twitter. I will share this. This is courtesy of Mike Kennedy at Mike Kennedy NFL. And this goes into Mr. Whisper's question a bit about Hakeem Adenogy. Let me share this with you folks here. This is lowest run blocking grades through week 10. Now, obviously the Bengals had the buy in week 10, but it gives you the nine games here. Um, here, here are some run blocking grades going on there. Um, and then of course, when you look at uh, this, you see Trey Hopkins there was, was uh, 44.4 at number seven, right? So, now, thanks to you, you helped me out on the assist here. You uh, pointed out some things on PFF these last two weeks with Trey Hopkins. And Trey Hopkins now, in these past two weeks, he has run block scores of 65.6 and 60.9, much improved on that front. Now, is this strictly because of Hakeem Adenogy? No, I mean, maybe not. But I think that there could be an argument made wherein Adenogy is making life maybe a little bit easier on Trey Hopkins and and really the approach that the Bengals are, are taking on offense these past two weeks is just kind of allowed the offense to impose its will a little bit more. In, in years past when the Bengals have had issues at center and reliable guards it was like the opposite where you you would have like Kevin Zeidler or Clint Bowling doing a lot to make up for Russell Bodine's weaknesses and that could that could be said about Trey Hopkins in the past couple of years, where you would have him maybe taking on some more like un, unmanageable reach blocks against you know shaded outside uh, defensive tackles. I, I think for for mostly this season though with Trey, I think it has been maybe just that knee. And yeah, he, I think he said it himself. Like coming off of that bye week, he said, "Yeah, I've been taking like rest days, but I, I think I need to basically get out of that and, and put in more work during the week so I can prepare myself." For, for these games. I think that's been the case over the last couple of weeks, but also, so I think it's a little bit of both then it's just having a competent guy on both sides of him. Obviously Quinn Spain is playing fantastic this year. The key is fitting right into place. Hopkins can just focus on his responsibilities he can focus on the guy in front of him. And I think the fact that it's just more time removed from that surgery, more time of playing on that knee and honestly just more practice reps under his under his belt we're she, we're seeing slow improvements we're seeing Hopkins get back into his regular form which should start a conversation as to whether or not they actually need to move on from him at all because I think he still has one more year left on his deal and if and if he continues to improve and play like this further and further away from that knee injury I think that can be a conversation we can have the pessimist would say well Hakeem Adenogy playing decent at right guard is just showing maybe that Jackson Carmen wasn't the best pick this year and, and wasn't the best plan this year, but the optimist says Hakeem Adenogy as a day three pick the year prior is outperforming expectations and a guy that we weren't even sure when he was going to be back this year based yeah. on his injury. Right. So it, it, I mean, so you can kind of be pessimistic about it, but you can also be pretty optimistic about what we're seeing with, with Adenogy. I love this. Uh, another super chat. Thank you, Dustin Croft. 
Uh, this year is a classic example on why fans need to be patient and let the season evolve. Players need a chance to develop and gel. That's really been the key for me. If you've listened to this show, I've said a lot. How quickly can this team mature? How quickly can some of these young guys develop? How quickly can they integrate themselves into what the, the Bengals are trying to do on both sides of the ball? That's going to be the key as to where they are in the playoff hunt towards the end. And here, here we are, John, seven and four. They hold the top wild card spot. They are one game behind the Baltimore Ravens. And if they can not only take care of business against Baltimore, but if they can take care of business against the Browns, which we'll talk about in one quick second, um, then all of a sudden, you know, this team's, this team's right in the thick of things. And it, it basically is proving that they can beat and or compete with any team on, on any given Sunday this year. Yeah, Dustin, we appreciate the donation. We appreciate the comment, but let's be honest. Fans are never going to be patient when they start <laughs> off <on a> slow. <laughs> True. True. It's, just, it's never going to happen, unfortunately. But yeah. it's a good it's a good point because especially with teams that have low expectations, not for themselves, but you know, from the outside looking in, and they're still kind of growing, they're still kind of finding themselves, and you still don't know for sure, you know, what these position groups are going to look like specifically with the offensive line. Yeah, there's always going to be times uh, of growing pains and, and such, but when you have convincing performances like this, you know, a lot of that that work and whatever messages that they're sending, it, it starts to get validated. And that bodes well for the, the next coming years, right? It, it, it gives them a little bit more of a benefit of the doubt where maybe things don't go very well. But having all these pieces in place and with that quarterback, I think it, it, it buys them like a grace period, I guess, going forward where they didn't really have that this year. Yeah, we're going to get to your stat of the week in just a second, but we did have another super chat we wanted to get to from, I believe, our, uh, well, first of all, we'll just, uh, we'll, we'll thank you, Akila the Great, saying still need to, that way too early mock draft. This is the first year in the last few, oh, John, that we haven't been draft prospect heavy and mock draft heavy and all that. This December was always, all right, well, should we get the mock drafts ready? Because we got to talk about, you know, who the Bengals are going to pick with the top pick and with the top five pick, all of that. This is, it's so refreshing to not have to be able to do that. But maybe we'll get to that in, in, in a few weeks. Look, I, I mute mock draft on Twitter from, from like April <laughs> or like late April to like February. Like I can't do that in real life. So yeah. let, let's, let's just, let's just avoid it for as long as we can. Yeah. Maybe if, if, God forbid there is a bad loss on the horizon. Maybe to not talk about something like that. Maybe we'll we'll do a mock draft, <laughs> uh, an early mock draft or something. And then it, this is Vape Guy, who I believe is John from Kentucky, if I am not mistaken. Uh, Bengals are the new uh, Browns are the new Bengal killer. Steelers will be terrible for years to come. How do we beat Mayfield? That's that is the puzzling thing here. And I we've said this. It just this may just be a situation wherein. You know, there are just teams that don't match up well personnel wise, scheme wise with each other. But for some reason, John, whether OBJ is on the team or not on the team, whether running backs are healthy or not healthy, offensive linemen are in or out for Cleveland, Mayfield just looks like a completely different quarterback against the Cincinnati Bengals. What an embarrassing question to ask. How do we beat Baker Mayfield? Like, honestly, no, no, <laughs> well, no other team. John. Not by not no 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 of course of course no yeah, yeah. no no no, no. Yeah. like it, it's no offense to him that he's asking this question but right. no 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 other team is asking that question how do we beat Baker Mayfield right honestly right. man like is it timing really like had they played the Browns a week later after the whole Odell thing like would it have been that bad I don't know if that has an impact on it or not all I know is that they still can't stop Nick Chubb for for obvious reasons and that's gonna be the biggest test come January yep. 
Absolutely. Thank you, John. If uh, vape guy, I believe that is John from Kentucky. Good to hear from you again. Uh, been a little while and thank you all for some of those super chats there. Something new we're trying out and uh, I think it's going to be something that we really lean on for the, um, the listener questions live, which we will be doing this Friday as well. Uh, I'm probably surprising my co-host with that news, but, um, <laughs> but uh, I think it's something that will be useful um, for that as well, but we appreciate it. We're trying it out and uh, appreciate those super chats coming through. John, you had, before we move into uh, previewing this, the chargers matchup coming up here, you had another stat of the week to kind of go along with some of the Trey Hopkins stuff that I was talking about. Yeah, this doesn't really have anything to do with Tree Hopkins, but it was something that I was curious about at the end of the game because for the third time this year, we had not only Trey Hopkins getting subbed out of the game, but a lot of the starters getting subbed out of the game. Three times in 11 weeks does an NFL team bring in their subs to close out the fourth quarter. Like, this isn't college. This is the NFL. This doesn't normally happen. And it's been because they've been blowing out some of these teams. And it got me thinking, like, there's been a lot we're used to Bengals games being close, even in wins. There's been a lot of multi-score victories for this team. And I was curious how this 2021 team stacks up to other great Bengals teams of the past in terms of just point differential for these for wins. So I looked up in the first 11 games in, in terms of just point total point differential for wins only. There's only been three other teams with a greater point differential through the first 11 games. 1976, when they had nine wins in the first 11 games. 1988 went to the Super Bowl that year had eight wins in the first 11 games in 1989 which was they had six wins in the first 11 games that year they had point differentials of 123 122 and 120 respectively in seven wins this year the Bengals have had a point differential of 117 which is six more actually than the 2015 team and honestly and and I think uh 1988 was at a point differential of 109 in the first 11 games this kind of seems like an indicator of pretty good success because that's two former Super Bowl teams. That's arguably the best team of this generation of, of Bengals in 2015. And that's another great team, but led by Ken Anderson, 1976 uh, with, with nine wins that year. Kind of seems like an indicator of meaningful success here. If you're winning these games by this great margin and you're seeing backups and you're seeing your backup quarterback and your backup offensive line come in to finish these games. We haven't really seen something like this in a while. Great stuff. And just to piggyback off that a, a little bit, the three games the Bengals have won consecutively against the Steelers, the margin, average mar margin of victory in those three games is 18.33 points. Insane. That's 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 three possessions. Uh, and, and that's that one of those games is with Ryan Finley as your quarterback. So <laughs> go figure that one out. Uh I mean, it's 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 pretty unbelievable what what this team is showing. It, it's shown the ability to beat or compete with every team. Whether you want to talk about the Green Bay game, the Steelers, the Ravens, all all of these games. It also, unfortunately, they also have had a mark of a little bit of an immature team or an inconsistent team where they they stumble. Uh, Bears, Jets, some of those games, and you go, what what just happened there? But um, right now, that that point differential that you mentioned, John, and those teams that they are aligned with in that, in that regard, that's, that's a big stat. And I want to reiterate that's for wins only. It's not the total point differential yeah. because they, they've unfortunately been blown up by the Browns and they've had some other losses there. So wins only. Well, good stuff. And we 
the stats of the week are brought to you all by you guys you guys know who it's brought by brought to you by symbol s-i-m-b-u-l-l symbol.com slash obi our great partnership with symbol continues symbol is where you can use the platform that they provide and kind of play the stock market with sports if you will you buy into teams whether it's short-term investments long-term investments what have you and you can make money even if it's a team you don't care about if it's a team you are passionate about and it's not just relegated to the Bengals or professional football they've got other sports other things going on john they've got a special promotion for our listeners what do you have to tell us about that promotion if you don't already know about this promotion, man, it's the perfect time to get in on it. It's the holiday season. I think Tuesday was, I think, Giving Day or whatever, or whatever yep, it's giving called. Giving Tuesday, yep. Giving Tuesday, absolutely. It is the perfect time to get on Symbol because Symbol wants you to get into, into their market. They want you to invest in NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, and Power 5 college football teams. And you have a great opportunity to do so because when you deposit up to $500 in your initial deposit using the promo code OBI when you go to symbol.app backslash OBI. That $500, up to $500 initial deposit, it's risk-free for the first 90 days, meaning you can invest all 500 of those dollars into the symbol market in any way that you want. And if you are not satisfied for whatever reason after 90 days or before the 90-day mark, you can take out your initial deposit completely risk-free, no charge to you. Symbol's that confident that you are going to love their product because Anthony said it, it is the stock market for sports and you can invest teams like their stocks. For the long term, if you think that the Bengals are going to be good for a long time and you want to invest at their current share price, you can invest in the Sim Bengals. If you want to invest and buy low in the Sim Reds who seem to forget this free agency is happening right now, you can invest in the Sim Reds. <laughs> if you want to invest in the Sim Blue Jackets in the NHL market, you can invest in the Sim Blue Jackets. It's that easy. You invest these teams at their current share prices. You watch them grow. You watch them fall. You sell. You buy. You do everything like they were stocks. And you can do this with up to a $500 initial deposit, risk-free for the first 90 days, only if you go to symbol.com backslash OBI. Use the promo code OBI. Well, as we mentioned, the Bengals take on the former San Diego Chargers, the Los Angeles Chargers, the second team, I guess, in, in Los Angeles. I guess it depends on how you view the city. I don't know. Regardless, the Bengals are hosting the Chargers coming in this week and they have their hands full. Uh, there are a lot of things that seem to play into the Bengals corner, home field advantage aside. Uh, there are some other matchup problems that the, the Chargers provide the Bengals that should be a challenge overall. Uh, John, your initial impressions of this matchup, and then I think we could probably talk a little bit about the injury report and who's who's healthy and who's not, all that kind of stuff. Well, we got Michael Jordan in the Facebook chat saying it's the biggest game of the year, which mirrors what mm. I think Zach Taylor said in his Wednesday press conference. Up to this point, the biggest game of the year because there's playoff impl implications. It's another AFC team. It's a talented AFC team. And honestly, it just goes back to what we've been saying for weeks now. Every next game is the biggest game. And that's going to be the case for these next six weeks. And we can afford to do this. We can afford to look ahead beyond the Chargers because we're not in the building. We're not preparing for these things. We can afford to look at that from an, from an analysis standpoint. But yeah, that's kind of what it is, right? Every next game is the, is the biggest game of the year. And you can make that case for the Chargers here. And it's just another thing where the Bengals are coming off of emotional 
fantastic, dominating win. And the team they're playing against is dealing with issues. Chargers are on a little bit of a skid right now. They played terrible against the Denver Broncos, who the Bengals play at Denver in a handful of weeks here. They're going through some issues offensively. Justin Herbert's still trying to find himself. There's issues with play calling or there's criticism in regards to Joe, Joe Lombardi's scheme and stuff. At the end of the day, though, Chargers are still like they're still talented. Herbert still had a pretty solid season up to this point. He still has a cannon of an arm. He can still make throws that basically only a handful of other quarterbacks can make. And they have a defense that can generate pressure with their great guy in Joey Bosa. They have maybe the most versatile defensive player in the entire league in Derwin James. Like they're not to be overlooked despite the struggles that they're going on right now. And I think that mental aspect is huge here. How do they handle success? Do they handle it better than they did coming off of that Baltimore Ravens game? You know, how do they manage the hype getting back into the, the good spot of the playoff picture dealing with a team that's struggling with issues right now. I think it'll, it'll tell a lot about how much this team has actually grown in the last month. I, yeah, it's, I feel like every week we're like barometer game, litmus test, you know, all, all these things. And it's, I mean, I guess it's what comes with a younger roster and, and some unproven people on this team. But I mean, it just feels that way. And especially when you've got Burrow versus Herbert uh, quickly, before we get to the injury report, were you surprised that this one wasn't, wasn't flexed into, into primetime? Yes and no. Uh, yes, because there are playoff, playoff implications and there's the story with Bur- Burrow and Herbert. But I, I think, honestly, like Patrick Mahomes has the same effect as the Dallas Cowboys do in, re- in regards to just the NFL and scheduling. Like, it, it's crazy. You know, a, a year ago or even two years ago, if you had asked like someone, like, what do you, what do you feel about Patrick Mahomes being flexed in the primetime? You've been like, awesome. I want to see that guy play quarterback. And now everyone hates it because, the, the, you know, the Chiefs, they were struggling at a point, but now... Mahomes is back to being Mahomes, so like it doesn't really surprise me because the Chiefs are turning in the right direction. The Bengals remaining six games, all teams. I mean, it's been this way since they're since they're by, but all teams are either currently slated to make the playoffs or are right outside looking in, trying to get into the playoff bracket. And it's no coincidence that you've got quite a f- most of these teams sport some of the best quarterbacks in the league, Justin Herbert. Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson. You can say whatever about Baker Mayfield. He was a number one overall pick. Um, so, I mean, there a, a lot of these teams have premier quarterbacks that the Bengals will be facing. So, you know, they've got to be on their A game on defense. Fortunately for the Bengals, their defense has been playing much, much better since that bye as opposed to what we saw in the the two losses prior to the, prior to the bye week. But, um, Let's let's talk quickly before we get to you know some of the matchups and other other things ancillary things about this game coming up here. Let's talk about the injury report. I will put this link in the live chat for folks. You wrote this up on Cincy Jungle. I think it posted a little while before we took the air on Wednesday here, as of the Wednesday report. So um, the Bengals are a little bit more banged up this this week, John. Uh, there, there were, I think, what, seven players that didn't practice as of Wednesday. Um, so uh, you want to run us through some of this here? So Riley Reef is, I guess, the big name here. He left Sunday's game against the Steelers, mm-hmm. um, replaced by Isaiah Prince. But Zach Taylor said that if he needed to play, he would have and he, he could have. And he will not practice um, Thursday as well. He didn't practice Wednesday. So they expect him to, to practice Friday and then they expect him to play. So there's nothing really to worry about that until Friday comes and maybe he doesn't practice. 
Trey Hopkins, I guess th- there was an ankle that, as to why he didn't finish that game or it was taken out earlier before other uh, starters were taken out. Trey Hill played, I think, a handful of more snaps than other backup offensive linemen in that game. So that's something to monitor as well. And I'm sure like he's still dealing with some some knee things as well. Chris Evans, the ankle injury is a little surprising because I don't think he was taken out of that game. And, mm-hmm. and the fact that he did not practice all Wednesday is something to monitor. Khalid Kareem and Mike Thomas, the receiver, uh, according to this non-COVID illness, there was the thing with TJ Watt uh, contracting COVID or at least being placed on the COVID list on Monday. We don't know if this has something to do with that or it's just colder weather and they're practicing now in the cold and you know, guys sometimes come down with the sniffles or something like that. And Auden Tate, uh, has been dealing with a thigh injury for the last several weeks. So being listed with a calf, having not played in several weeks is something a little bit interesting as well. Yeah, Darius Phillips on there with a knee calf. Uh, I don't know if that hampered. He he had a little bit of a rough game towards the end there when he was pressed into bigger action. Uh, well, his head almost got taken off by Claypool. <laughs> It did. It did. That, that is very, very true. Reef, of course, being kind of the biggest on there. Hopkins got rolled up on, uh, you know, later in the game. That was a little scary when you watch the replay of that. So, um, you know, I actually didn't also, see that. Yeah, he, he kind of got rolled up on and he he was slow to get up. It was almost like, oh, boy, you know, is that is that going to be cart time honestly and uh he got up but i think after that the Bengals were like you know we've got this thing in hand let's you know let's not mess with with things here here's the chargers injury report uh full practice for tavon campbell matt filer a guy we talked about in for free agency for the cincinnati Bengals. he has an ankle injury he was limited uh alohi gilman a quadricep did not practice trey marshall an ankle kept him limited. Kenneth Murray, a name that obviously Bengals fans were familiar with as well in this year's draft, was a full participant in practice. Asante Samuel Jr., one of their uh, rookie corners there, and and I think he's been having a pretty decent year, if I'm not mistaken, um, in concussion protocol, so he did not practice. That's kind of the update here. I think in terms of matchups, aside from, you know, who may be in or who may be out of the lineup, John, I think the most obvious one has to be the Bengals. Joe Mixon has almost 300 yards rushing the last two games. The Los Angeles Chargers are dead last in terms of rushing yards allowed in the league. That has to be an area that the Bengals have to try and exploit once again this week, correct? Yeah, I think it's similar to last week where you have a dangerous pass rusher coming off of the right side of the offensive line. That's where Joey Bosa normally is. And if you can just rush for six yards of carry, you don't have to you know, commit to the run until it works like you did against Vegas. If you can just have immediate success against a terrible defensive line against the run, then there's no real point to do anything but that until it doesn't work anymore. Um, the Chargers don't really have bodies at defensive line that can stop the run, which is surprising because they went out and signed Linval Joseph, who for many years was a great run stopper for the Minnesota Vikings as a nose tackle. I think Jerry Tillery has been hurt a little bit, so he's been out of the lineup. But, you know, they didn't retain Melvin Ingram, who wasn't ever that good of a run defender in the first place. But other than Joey Bosa, they don't really have very many quality names at defensive line who can stop the run. And Kenneth Murray dealing with an injury as well. So, like, linebackers are a little bit questionable, too. There's only so much that Bosa and, and Derwin can do in terms of just stop the bleeding, you know? So, if they get into a situation where they have to pass the ball in case, you know, the Chargers passing game kind of comes alive and then they have to, you know, up the aggression a little bit, 
then that could be interesting to see how they balance that and, and to see how they stop Bosa. I think something similar would, would, would happen in terms of just chipping him with CJ Zoma like they did a lot with TJ Watt, which is why TJ Watt was not really a factor in this past Sunday. But yeah, like it, it's, it seems pretty obvious that they're just going to try the run game and then at all odds, it'll probably work because the matchup is just too great for them. But if not, it'll be interesting to see how they balance it. Yeah, Denzel Perryman is a guy that was kind of known as a, a run defending linebacker, kind of the the prototypical middle linebacker type of build. Um, he was with them for for quite a while. was a was a second round pick by the Chargers a handful of years ago. Now is with the Raiders. You saw him making a couple plays in the game against the Raiders a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, I mean they've kind of lost. To your point, they've lost a number of guys to that were helping out in the in the run defense type of game uh they they kind of do a com- by committee approach themselves in terms of how they run the football they, what scares me about their running backs not necessarily ground and pound john but versatile versatile austin eckler versatile guy the Bengals sometimes have trouble guarding these athletic running backs coming out of the backfield in the passing game uh this may be a little bit more i mean you want to still pin your ears back and rush the passer but this may be a little bit less aggressive this week because of the athleticism of Justin Herbert, his ability to, to escape the pocket. And maybe Lou Anarumo says, let's just try and keep things in front of us this week. Keep, keep things in front of the sticks, not allow these running backs to go wild on, on big plays out of the backfield. I don't know. Maybe just uh, that, that's a thought I had. I don't know if you agree or not. Like the, this the season timeline of the Chargers offense has been crazy because like they were starting really hot in the first six weeks and then mm-hmm. things kind of died down and that's led to some criticisms about the play calling if you have a quarterback like Justin Herbert who can sling it deep why are you not attacking downfield more why is he in, like next to Ben Roethlisberger in terms of air yards per attempt like what, what's going on here what's the disconnect and honestly they invested a lot at offensive line this year including Matt Filer including Corey Lindsley at center first round pick and Rashawn Slater it's been Slater, Lindsley, and unfortunately, a lot of injuries. Like Brian Bulaga has not played at right tackle. That's led them yep. to start Storm Norton, who has been terrible. They have a terrible right guard. And unfortunately, Filer missed last game against Denver, and his backup was not very good. So Filer on the injury report being limited is, is something to definitely monitor because he's so much better in pass protection than his backup. And it's kind of like the Bengals in years past, where they have maybe a couple decent pieces. But when you have you know, at least one or two, or in this case, three total liabilities and pass protection that limits what you can do on offense. So it's not necessarily been um, about the lack of aggression of throwing the ball deep. It's been about the pass protections just not been there, which is why they've had to get the ball out of Justin's hands really quickly and not utilize his full strength. So it's going to be down to the Bengals passers taking advantage of some of those weak points in the Chargers offensive line. So, the, so that they can keep everything in front of them so that they can force them to get the ball out quickly and, and you know, kind of capitalize on some of these short passes. So I think that's going to be the focal point of this game is if they can take advantage of an offensive line that's still struggling to stay healthy and keep their quarterback upright. Before we get to predictions and maybe outlook of how this game may unfold, I, I, just looking ahead in, in your in your crystal ball there, John, is this is this a matchup here that you foresee that's going to be just, you know, kind of one of those AFC dynasty type, you know, uh, a Patriots Colts, you know, I hate, hesitate to mm-hmm. use Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, but uh, you know, 
one of those things where these these teams maybe maybe a Palmer Big Ben or whatever you know however you want to you want to classify this thing is this just something because of these two quarterbacks because of the same draft class because the teams are both pretty competitive in these respective quarterbacks second year is this something you see just kind of being a regular thing that these two teams are going to be in the playoff hunt and maybe need to fight each other to get in 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 the coming years honestly i'm kind of rooting for that just as a just as a football fan because i know at least what one team has been through and i've and i've heard a lot about what the other team has been through you know you're west coast guy you're out there you kind of understand the charges have kind of been through some things and they're kind of snake bitten in, in their own right so for this new generation you know maybe like 10 years you know when when brady finally retires and you have that new generation finally take over at the quarterback at the top of the echelon maybe you do have a rivalry between burrow and herbert leading two teams that historically have been snake bitten, have not had success um, in the playoffs or just in general. Bad luck just seems to follow the Chargers. And that's just been the case for as long as I can remember. Even when they mm-hmm. had tremendously talented guys in LaDainian Tomlinson and Phillip Rivers and Antonio Gates and Chris Chambers and just, just to name a few. And they just Chris could never Chambers, capitalize. Man. Yeah, yeah there's, there's a name. Oh, Vincent Jackson too, rest in peace. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but the, the Chargers, I think, it's just like the West Coast Bengals in that sense, where they've had a lot of things go right for them, and they just could never put it all together. Or something very unfortunate out of their control happens. So if these two teams now find themselves as like the dominant tier of ASG teams that compete for conference championships and end up meeting the playoffs constantly, I think that'd be a great shift to the guard. Well, uh, I, I, you know, I kind of, again, maybe I'm romanticizing this matchup, but I, I was a big Justin Herbert guy coming into the draft. I really, really liked him. And I, I really liked Burrow obviously as well. And, you know, I wasn't as hot on Tua as, as I was with those two, but I just, you know, kind of also going back to the eighties with in, in the early eighties, Ken Anderson, Dan Fouts, right. I mean, the, the matchups there, these teams i mean they're they're for them not being in the same division there are a lot of big games a lot of different clashes and big big names in in these games that uh have have when they've gone head to head let's transition to uh score predictions etc we've got another super chat from mr whisper thank you so much uh ac and john if you can only choose two which two players on offensive uh, offense and defense have to show up in the Chargers game for the Bengals to win. You want to bat lead off on that one? Yeah, I'll, I'll go. I'll go with Mixon to start. I think just him having another great game would make things a lot easier, and I think they can count on him showing up in that regard. And on uh, else on offense, um, I, I would go Riley Reef too. I, I just think if they can neutralize Joey Bosa and if they can just keep yeah. Joe Mixon rolling, like things would just be a lot easier. And then on defense, I think Jesse Bates having a good game, just coming up and run and not only run support, but some of those underneath passes, having having another solid tackling game, but also keeping an eye on in case Herbert tries to unload deep. Like they're going to have to take some deep shots in this game. And I think Bates has done well in recent weeks coming off of that bye to improve in coverage. And other than that, um, I want to see Trey Hendrickson against who should be probably in the rookie of the year conversation with Sean Slater. We don't talk about him because we were obsessed with Penny Sewell, but he has played like a lot of people expected Penny Sewell to play this year. So uh, Hendrickson versus Slater is a great matchup to watch. And, you know, Hendrickson has just showed out regardless of competition this year, and he's going to need another good game. Good choices. I, I you know, I was going to take Reef. I think Reef is one um, that I would, I would choose on offense as well. I just think just 
again, he hasn't been Pro Bowl caliber, but he has been a steady presence, brought exactly what you signed him for, a veteran steady presence in the wake of the Bobby Hart right tackle debacle that we experienced for for years. So, um, you know, having him back, having him back healthy is going to is going to be a big, big thing. You mentioned the Joey Bosa matchup, et cetera. So, yeah, I I, I mean, that's just one immediately. I'm going to get a little weird with this one and I'm going to say CJ Uzama. Uh, CJ Uzama, someone had mentioned in the, in the chat about, you know, they're going to stack the box against Joe Mixon and really sell out against the run and let the Bengals have Burrow and the Bengals try and beat them. Well, maybe so. And there are times wherein that has happened and Uzama has quietly stepped up and been a big target on offense. The Jacksonville game, uh, the, the game against Baltimore, he has five touchdowns, but he hasn't had the big, big play. Uh, I, th- I think, what was it, since Detroit? That was the last one he had kind of a big play there. So um, I-, I expect that the Bengals may use some more play action based on their success with the run the past couple of weeks and the Chargers potentially trying to sell out on that. And so C.J. Uzama might be the benefactor of that. On defense, um, I'm going to say I'm, I'm going to say that uh, Bengals need to continue to get um, more quality play out of Eli Apple. Uh, you know, he's been, he's stepped up the past couple of weeks with a couple of big interceptions and, and has really raised his play. His PFF scores reflect that. And so I, I think he's a guy, especially when you're going up against Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and, and a couple of talented wideouts there, you just need steady quarter cornerback play. And then I'm going to say Logan Wilson. Um, I mentioned those, those active running backs playing in space and doing those sort of things. Jermaine Pratt stepped up uh, last week. And, and so I think the Bengals and Logan Wilson need to have their linebackers be able to play well in space and limit the damage from the running backs in the passing game this week. Because I think undoubtedly based on what you said about the offensive line for the chargers, you know, they're going to try and either get the ball out quickly or they're going to try and, you know, use those weapons out of the running back position for, for safe throws. And just real quick, um, because I remember so elegantly, you know, you were the one you're one of the ones championing for Herbert, not necessarily over Burrow, <laughs> but just as a guy who deserved more credit in the process than he got. And obviously, I think you should be validated for that. But just after two years now of, of him playing, what is something that you've seen from him that is even better than what you gave him credit for coming out of Oregon? Uh, you know, I. I wondered about I, I, I when I was hot on him, I, I admitted that he was going to be a boomer bust guy because he has the tools. He had the athleticism. He had the arm. It was more for, for me. What's the mental processing going to be for him now? He still has issues of forcing passes and that sort of thing. But um, for, for me, he's you know, the decision making and the the mental side of the game has been a, a little bit ahead of the curve of where I I thought he was going to be a guy you needed to sit maybe a full year. I know that's not ideal in today's NFL, but maybe he was a guy that you really had to ease into things. He didn't start for them last year to start the season, but he he got off running. And uh, I, that's what I was surprised about. The, 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 his quick development in the at the NFL level I, th- I think has really surprised me particularly on the mental side I, I knew the physical tools were there I thought it was all going to be about where his head is at with things and uh, he surprised me in that regard and I think that's I, I would assume that's what surprised a, a lot of people right I mean I, they knew he had the physical tools there was a dip in production his, his final year at Oregon from the year prior 
And a lot of people felt, well, he just wasn't processing the field correctly. If you go back and look at the film, there were a ton of big drops by his wide receivers that year that cost him a lot of stats and a lot of situational problems. Um, and and the, I don't think a lot of people realize that. But uh, yeah, I mean, to, for me, the mental processing thing was kind of the big the big thing that I've seen at the NFL level for Herbert. What about you? I will die. On, I, I I will die on this hill. I, I think that the coaches of Oregon who coached him in his career should be prosecuted and should be fired <laughs> if they're still employed the, because I don't know how he like some of the most respected names in football analysis and guys that I respect their work. They were all in agreement that this guy just there's, there's something wrong with the way that he plays quarterback and it's not to do with anything with his arm, but there's just mental things that he's just not grasping, especially for a guy who was a four year starter at a power five school. And the going from that to what he was last year in an instant, just with a new coaching staff and a new environment. I don't know where else the blame can go aside from the coaching staff. Obviously the drops were, were, were huge in that part too, but I thought it was more than that. And I, I give a ton of credit to Pep Hamilton, who was his quarterback's coach mm -hmm. last year and um, his former offensive coordinator, who I'm forgetting his name at the moment, but I thought that maybe a change in coaching staff could lead to some type of regression for Herbert and, you know, the stats aren't as crazy as they were last year, but I don't think he has regressed that much. I think he's still, by and large, the same guy. And, you know, some things just have to work out for that offense in general. But I think he's still he's just really good. And that regression hasn't really happened. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's just he, good. He's just he's just good. And that's I mean, that's that's why I was banging the table. Not not Bengals need to draft this guy. But I, I was banging the table that he should at least be more in the conversation if you if you dug a little deeper and looked at some things with him. But. Uh, I, I did admit that there was a boomer bust factor where, and, and on the flip side with Burrow, I think we could say, well, the mental processing and the football IQ and all of that, uh, you know, field general leadership and tangible stuff was all going to be there. It was arm strength stuff. There were some questions on that as, as a rookie, but he seems to have at least improved upon that this year. That was something he worked on right this off season. And so I think that's surprised maybe some, especially with the addition of Jamar Chase and, and some other, you know, the deep ball has improved this year. There are still a couple of issues going on, but for the most part, it's been a, a, an improvement over the year prior with Burrow in his second year. Yeah, man. It's just like these two quarterbacks are just kind of finding themselves. Um, mm -hmm. And now they're meeting each other for the first time. They could have met last year, um, but you know, they, they wanted to sit him. And then of course the doctor punk punctured Tyra Tyrod Taylor's lung. And then he went out there and became rookie of the year. So yeah. now we, we got the first official meeting of these two guys. Playoff implications are heavy, supposedly supposed to be not so great weather in Paul Byron Stadium. So what do you got for a prediction? I, you know, I'm kind of thinking this might be a high scoring game just based on the quarterbacks and, and maybe the Bengals move away from the run game a little bit as opposed to other, um, you know, uh, as opposed to other games recently you know maybe they move away from that a little bit and pass the ball a little bit more maybe it's a little bit more of a shootout i will say i do think the Bengals win this one though um I, I think i think they they pull this one out i will say uh 33 34 26 okay that's interesting how did 26 is what that's like four field goals no mm -hmm. five maybe something like that yeah all right that's 34 points for the good guys the streak is broken. I predicted the Bengals would win last week, and they won. So I'm I'm free to do whatever I want now. I think <laughs> Vegas has this as a three point game for for the home team, which is about right. 
I, I think it's going to be close. I really do. I, I think coming off of, of a great win, Chargers dealing with stuff, I think things kind of even out back to where they're probably supposed to be. Um, Bengals defense is still good, but I think the Chargers can do some things, especially with a quarterback that talented and a quarterback who can evade the rush to your earlier point. They mm-hmm. need they need to do things to keep him in the pocket, but it's hard to do that when he's 6'5", 230, moves like he does and can throw off platform wherever he wants on the field. Chargers are going to score points in this one. Um, but I think offensive line issues for them are going to limit how successful they're going to be. I think the Bengals have a good plan offensively and they have a great matchup against that defensive line. So I think Herbert's going to do all he can stay in this game. I think he's going to have a really good game, a bounce back performance from that last terrible game that he played, but it's not going to be enough barely. So I'm going to say Vegas gets this perfectly right. 27 to 24. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the weather should be a little sloppy, I think. I, I, at least earlier on Wednesday, I saw that there might be at game time about a 70 or 80% chance of rain. Some others are saying that might be pushed to later in the day, but um, may not be right up the uh, us West Coast weather softies. Uh, they may not be, <laughs> may not be uh, ideal situation, but we both pick the Bengals to win. Should be a fun one based on the quarterback play and all kinds of different stuff. John, let's drop the mic and get on out of here. I don't know if you want to address some of the comments that are being... Uh, the mic was already dropped for me. Jake was reporting to me that Bruce Feldman is reporting, that someone else is reporting, I think, that Marcus Freeman, former UC defense coordinator, is the new coach at Notre Dame, and Luke Fickle staying right here to hopefully beat Houston and hopefully be one of the four teams in the college football playoff. That's all I got. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's that's good news for you my friend and i i never really thought fickle uh was was gonna leave by the way i have a i have a friend who physically looks a lot like luke fickle it's weird when i see when i see luke fickle, I just, yeah i just i it's it, the dark hair and the the kind of the the longer face and you know the whole thing it's just it's uh it's weird when i see him I'm like it looks like my buddy drew uh anyway but uh, i don't have too much other than to say uh thanks to you for altering the live uh the schedule of the live show had to take care of some personal stuff to get going with this week and we are working on getting charlie goldsmith of the cincinnati inquirer in the very near future potentially as early as next week where we're hashing out some some dates there so we are pleased to be bringing him on we'll have some more guests etc but uh, we had tim mcgee last week that was a lot of fun i would love to hear what tim mcgee had to say this week um after that because he was kind of a little bit down on the Bengals last week and now the Bengals had that big win regardless we had Tim McGee last week that was a lot of fun and we'll be hopefully talking with Charlie Goldsmith of the Inquirer coming up soon here as I mentioned at the top of the show you can get this show this Cincy Jungle podcast channel on iTunes Stitcher Spotify Google Podcasts iHeartRadio all of the major audio platforms below John is an icon that you can click if you like the video format you can click that to join our uh, subscribe to our youtube channel and of course click the bell to be notified when we go live when new content is available we'll be bringing you more stuff fantasy football we've got listener questions live post game show and of course ace and zim bringing you all kinds of stuff on orange is the new black matt minnick coach speak and chalk talk on the podcast channel as well john have a good have a good rest of the week uh coming up here you got you got any big plans coming up to to finish up the week strong I think I have some type of some Christmas party to attend on Friday. Mm. I'm going to be decorating sweater? the family tree. Um, you doing the ugly sweater deal? 
not, not that I know of. I don't, I don't know okay. if it's a theme party, but it's seen okay. from Friends Friday. Um, decorating okay. the family tree Saturday before watching the, the UC Houston game and then seeing if the Bengals, get this, can win their third straight game in the same season for the first time since 2015. It's going to be pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and this would this would be a big one. This would be a big one for a lot of different reasons. Growth, uh, development, and of course, the 2021 playoff bracket. Everybody, have a good rest of your week. We had a lot of live viewers. Take care, enjoy, and we'll be getting you more content this week. We'll see you soon.